Pastor Noel Peepgrass, and I just wanted to welcome you to the Exeter Valley Church podcast. Our church plant started in 2021 with the goal of seeing God's kingdom extended in our hometown. If you're curious about Jesus, looking for a church family to be a part of, or feel called to join a kingdom expansion in Exeter, California, we'd love to have you join us on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. in our historic building at 218 West Pine Street. For more information, head on over to www.exetervalleychurch.com or visit our Instagram page. Thanks for listening. and ask questions, but we don't have time for that. So um, so the wheat and the weeds parable. Um, let's, let's get right into this. So, I mean, when you, when you would first hear this parable, you, you wouldn't think that it's about the, the biggest issues of life. You know, it's just kind of a weird story about a farmer plants his, his seed and then some Stinker comes in in the middle of the night and plants some weeds, which we don't really have a, a paradigm for that. It just all seems strange. Jesus interprets it later on in the chapter in Matthew 13, and it ends up being about these big epic truths about redemptive history and like the biblical storyline from, from Genesis to Revelation. I mean, it's just sort of, it's sort of surprising. Um, so right before this in Matthew 13 is the parable of the sower. You guys have probably um, heard that before if you've grown up in church. And that's, that's a picture of the kingdom of God coming personally. So there's these four different types of soil. The farmer sows his seeds, and there's these four different responses. That's a picture of how each of us personally receive the word of God in our lives in a personal way or, or don't receive the word of God. This parable, which he told right after it, and actually these two parables are the only parables that, I mean, Jesus told dozens of parables in his ministry. It's like one of his main forms of teaching in the Gospels. And there are only two parables where he gives a lengthy explanation to the parable. And that's the parable of the sower. And uh, my friend Danny Bartlett's going to do that one in a few weeks ago here, um, a few weeks from now. And then the parable of the wheat and the weeds is the second one he gives this lengthy explanation to. And both of them, at the end of it, he says, he who has ears, let him hear. And so all of that tells us that these are two of the most important parables. I mean, you don't want to say that, you know, one parable is not important, but it does seem like Jesus gives emphasis to these two parables. They're, they're highlighted. They're, they're emphasized. And um, so we want to pay attention. So, so, you know, long after, again, just as a teacher, somebody who loves the word, I would say long after my, you know, 30-minute encouragement here this morning, study these parables. Go to Matthew 13 and just go deep in these parables. Ask the Lord, what would you say to me through these things? So, so let's, let's first look at the way that Jesus interpreted it. So this is kind of like you're going to have a test in class. And uh, you ask the, the teacher for answers, and she gives you a cheat sheet beforehand. This is what Jesus does. He gives them the answers. He explains the parable. So we'll start with that. 
um, first of all, he says that the farmer, <clears throat> actually, first of all, um, I like to do this with a uh, side story here. Uh, I, I work at Radiant Church, and we have a little discipleship school, and that's what I do from Monday through Thursday. That's like my job, and I get to just uh, teach the Bible almost every day. I, I love it, and we actually go from Genesis to Revelation in our school. It's called the Gap Year School. And so we actually go over every chapter in the Bible together as a group. So um, one thing I like to do, though, as we're going through the Bible, is we'll read huge chunks together in class. And, you know, just like we did right now with the parable. And it's easy to just sort of, like, phase out as that's happening. You know, you read, like, a whole chapter. It's just like, I mean, whether you're sleepy or not, it's just a lot to take in at one time. And so sometimes we like to retell the story just in discussion. And so let's just retell the story of the parable. What, what actually happened? Um, there's a farmer, like I said, he sows these seeds. They're, they're wheat seeds. And it says that they're good seeds. And by implication, it's a good farmer. Everything's good. Everything's ideal, right? Could be thinking of Genesis. That's kind of the, like, the hint here. It's like this, everything's good. The creator's good. But then... Dun, dun, dun. This enemy comes in in the middle of the night and sows weeds, okay? Or if you're a King James guy, tares, the, the wheat and the tares. So they, they sow these seeds of wheat in the middle of the night, and some weeks go by. Um, I'm not a farmer, but from what I hear, the wheat and the weeds look the same for the first few months. It all looks similar. But after a few months, there's some distinctions. And so the, the servants come to the farmer after a while, and they say, hey, there's, there's weeds all over the field, and you sowed only good seed. What's the deal here? And the farmer doesn't seem surprised by it. I mean, you can tell there's like a, um, you know, he, he's going to turn out to be God or Jesus. That's the first interpretation that the son of man is the farmer. He's not surprised by the evil, and he just says simply, an enemy did this. Okay, so the servant's next question is, well, do you want us to go pull it up? It's kind of an obvious question. Like, there's all this bad crop here. It seems to be ruining everything. So let's take care of it right now. And he, he says a, a surprising thing. He says, no, 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 we have, to, we have to wait. We have to wait till the harvest time to pull the weeds up. And, and, and that's when he says, and at that time, we're going to throw it into the fire, and it's going to burn. Okay, so that's the story, just so we're all on the same page. He give, Jesus gives us an interpretation. Like I said, the farmer is, is Jesus. Uh, he goes on to say that the field with both good and bad crop is the world. Okay, it's the entire world. Again, this is a parable about epic things, about human history, about big truths. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. And the weeds are the children of the evil one, okay? So the wheat crop are, we could say, good people. I know it's kind of a weird term, but those are the good people, the sons of God. And the weeds are wicked people. That, that's wickedness. Um, <clears throat> let's look at the other interpretations here. I'm just going to throw this down here. Don't get distracted by that. <laughs> um. So just, just to, exp uh, here we go, and the, the final interpretation is that the harvest is the end of the age, 
and the harvesters are angels. And that's, that's surprising too. You know, the harvest is, Jesus is saying, all the way to hum, end, end of human history. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. Um, the enemy sowing his weeds in, in the middle of the night was a little bit like a, a, a prank in that day. Maybe a little bit more than a prank. I mean, you could ru- you could ruin somebody's crops, and like, I mean, they'd lose out on in that day the version of thousands of dollars. So this was a big deal. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I'll just leave it at that. So I, I want to look at three big themes that come through in this parable. And the first one, I think we have a slide for this, is Matthew chapter thirteen, verses twenty-seven and twenty-eight. Uh, It says that the landowner's servants came to him and said, Master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? And where did the weeds come from? And that's when he says, an enemy did this. So essentially, the first theme that I want to look at that Jesus is talking about is why is there evil in the world? Okay, that's really what's going on here. If the field is the world and God in Genesis, we know that he created good and that God is only good. Why is there so much wickedness in the world? Have you ever wondered that? I mean, if you, if you haven't, then almost every other human in all of history has wondered, why is there so much suffering? Why is there so much pain and wickedness in the world? And, and that's what I mean by big questions. That's really what Jesus is getting at, is they're asking, hey, what's, what's the deal here? And um, Jesus' answer is, <laughs> it's not very in-depth, but I want to give just a little bit of an overview of, of what the Bible says about It's called the problem of suffering. And sometimes the way that we try to answer this, theologians call it a theodicy. So that that word means vindicating God. And that's how people who read the Bible, they they vindicate God's goodness in light of all the pain and wickedness and suffering in the world. So just for fun, I have a video clip on this. I taught sixth graders as well, like Noel. And what I learned is that if you just add a little video clip in every once in a while, then it makes it way more exciting. Everybody perks up, and it's often like the one thing that people remember. Oh, yeah, we watched that one like Superman clip. I don't know what the rest of the sermon was about. So anyway, uh, we're thinking about the problem of evil and what the Bible says about it. And here's just like a little clip from, yes, Lex Luthor and Superman talking about it. Okay, so I know it's uh, part of a silly movie clip, but and we and we can't expect Lu- Lex Luthor to have all of his theology correct. Okay, he he compares all of the you know the false gods in the world to to the one true God. That's not cool. 
but he, he does phrase the problem of evil in a really compelling way, in a, in a very simple and relatable way, especially since he, he makes it personal. You know, he talks about his, the suffering that he endured as a kid, and, and a lot of times that's, that's hard for us to come to terms with. And he, he poses this, this problem in the form of, if God is all-powerful, then he can't be all-good. Because if he's all-powerful, why isn't he doing something about all of the evil in the world? And if he's completely good, if we give him that, then he, same thing. He cannot be all-powerful because, once again, why isn't he doing something about the wickedness and the evil and the suffering in the world? <clears throat> now, maybe a few of you might shrug your shoulders at that like, ah, I solved the problem of evil years ago. You know, that's fine. But for a lot of people, that is <clears throat> that uh, destroys their faith. Um, I myself have wrestled with this in my own way. Um, probably most of you don't know me. Um, for the last 13 years, I, I've suffered with chronic Lyme disease. And so every single day, different symptoms, pain, fatigue, brain fog. I haven't felt normal in 13 years. And as a follower of Jesus, even though I, I know a lot of the truths that I'm even going to explain to you right now, at a heart level, sometimes we still struggle. Like, why? Why couldn't you just heal me? Or, or why couldn't you have just saved me from, you know, in his words, daddy's abominations? You know, just these different things we go through. All of us come to terms with this problem of, wait a second, God, you, you're all powerful. You could have done something about it. Why didn't you? Um, some of you might know the name uh, Bart Ehrman. Uh, he's a biblical scholar. And he, you know, he, he now dedicates his, uh, his ministry, if you could call it that, to... Um, kind of tearing down um, the in inerrancy of the Bible and showing why it's not true and why the Gospels contradict with one another. And uh, that's, that's what he writes his books and, and his seminars spends his time doing. But he, if you would ask him, because he started off as a Christian, he started off as an evangelical, uh, he would call himself a passionate Christian. But if you would ask him, you know, why did you go down this road? Why do you not believe in Jesus anymore is the son of God? Why do you tear down the Bible's authority? He would say, because of the problem of evil. Because I couldn't just, I couldn't reconcile it in my own heart anymore. It was, it was too big of a dilemma. I didn't think there was an answer to it. So I want to give, um, I want to give like a philosophical answer to the question. And then I want to give um, more of a theological answer to the question. And I'll just tell you that the, I, the first one, is, is helpful, um, you know, an apolo apologetics, if you've heard that phrase before, it's like uh, defending the faith, defending the truths of the Bible, it's really helpful in that field, but I will tell you again, as somebody who has suffered a lot, the philosophical answer doesn't often satisfy my heart, and I need a theological answer, um, and so first, uh, this is a quote from Lee Strobel, uh, <laughs> and uh, just, just to give you the kind of the, the summary of it first, what Lee Strobel says about the problem of evil is that really it doesn't have to be this, this contradiction. Um, if, if God had a higher purpose for allowing evil in the world, then that itself solves the problem of evil. And, and then we just are left to discover, well, what was his higher purpose? It must have been 
re- a really good one, right? I mean, we think of all the suffering and injustice in the world. That must have been a really good one. But if you could just accept that premise, if God did have a higher purpose for allowing it, then that would vindicate both God's goodness and his power. Okay? So now in this quote from Lee Strobel, I'll read it to you guys, and he's going to take a stab at what he thinks that higher purpose is. Okay. The source of evil is not God's power, but mankind's freedom. Okay? That's it in a nutshell. God made us free is what he's going to say the higher purpose is. It's a self-contradiction, a meaningless nothing, to have a world where there's real choice, while at the same time, no possibility of choosing evil. He's going to explain this. To ask why God didn't create such a world is like asking why God didn't create colorless color or round squares. Then why didn't God create a world without human freedom? Because that would have been a world without humans. Would it have been a place without hate? Yes. A place without suffering? Yes. But it also would have been a world without love, which is the highest value in the universe. Is it possible to truly love somebody if you don't have a free choice? No, it's not. That's, that's part of the definition of love is that you choose it, okay? And, and therein is the philosophical answer that, that somehow God had a higher reason for allowing this evil, and that's that he created us free. He created the angels free, and a third of them fell, including Satan, who's been choosing evil ever since and is, is the ultimate enemy. He also created humans in the garden free, and 100% of humans fell in the garden. But for humans, God said, not so fast. I'm going to pursue you, and I'm going to redeem you. But he's given us a free choice. And so that's that's the, the, first, the first answer is that <clears> – <throat> Ultimately, it comes down to the fact that God so valued freedom and so valued love that he created the world the way it is, and that inevitably resulted in evil and suffering, as painful as that is. Pain and love, they go together. Okay, so um, like I said, uh, even though I, I, I love that and that's helpful and um, – there, you know, on my worst days of, of pain or symptoms or whatever, <clears throat> I usually don't console myself by saying, but praise God, I have a free will. You know, <laughs> like, uh, that usually just doesn't, like, hit the mark on, on the inside, and, uh, and God knows that. And so, amazingly, God has given us more than just a, a philosophical answer, and he's given us an answer in the person of Jesus. Okay, because he sent his son to die, to redeem us, to heal us. But he also, when he sent his son into the world, Jesus himself went through the suffering of this life. And he took on the sin and suffering upon himself on the cross. And um, I want to read another quote about this, about this idea. This idea that Jesus didn't exempt himself from any suffering, that he got, he got in it with us, if I could say it that way. And that does comfort my heart on my worst days. The fact that I have a Savior who so believed in the plan, who so believed in giving us free choice and love and free will, that he said, I'm going to suffer with you, and I'm going to take your pain upon myself. Um, 
And that scene so amazingly when Jesus was on the cross experiencing that suffering and pain. And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even that feeling of abandonment we have sometimes in suffering where we cry out to God and we say, where are you? Why don't you just do something with your power? Jesus himself experienced that on the cross. So this is a quote from uh, Dorothy Sayers. Uh, She was a writer from the 20th century. And it just describes this so well. She says, for whatever reason God chose to make man as he is, limited in suffering and subject to sorrows and death, he had the honesty and courage to take his own medicine. Whatever game he is playing with his creation, he has kept his own rules and played fair. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He has himself gone through the whole of human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. When he was a man, he played the man. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace and thought it well worthwhile. That's such a good picture of of Jesus. And I'm going to read this scripture to just follow it up. Hebrews 2, verses 8 through 9. It says, as it is, um, yeah, there we go, as it is, middle there. As it is, we do not yet see everything subjected to him. And the writer was just talking about our future of being exalted in the next age. But he says, as it is right now, we don't see that, do we? We see a lot of pain and we see a lot of suffering and life is really hard. But here's his, here's his answer, and this is where I'm getting this. But we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time so that by God's grace he might taste death for everyone, clowned, crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying we do struggle. We do ask questions. We do ask about the problem of pain. But every time you do, look to Jesus. He went through the same pain. He went through the same humiliation. And he did it for us. He did it because he believed in the plan. And we also look to Jesus and we see that now he's exalted at the right hand of God. And that's our destiny too. And so it gives us hope. Okay, even though in the difficulty right now, this is where we're going. Our destiny is going to be like Jesus's. Okay, so that's the, I know we're just doing little like drive-bys on these uh, massive themes. There's so much more we could say about that, obviously. Um, I want to give a second theme, and this one I'm just going to be real short on. This I'm not going to really focus on it, even though it could be a huge can of worms. The second theme we see in this parable is what do we do with people? Okay, so I'm getting that from Matthew 13, verses 28 through 30 in the parable where the servants say, so do you want us to go and pull the weeds up? Like, hey, there's, there's all this wickedness in the world. And the parable's saying that's talking about wicked people, actually. Well, let's take care of it. Let's get rid of them. And Jesus goes, whoa, 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 whoa. You don't have the wisdom to do that. You do not have the wisdom on your own to just get rid of wicked people. Okay? But the church throughout history has tried to do that, right? Um, and so maybe I can explain this best by showing some tragic examples from church history where all of you would agree and go, oh, yeah, that was bad. Like, oh, that's embarrassing. So the Crusades, okay? 
living a nice life, happy example. You guys have heard of the Crusades. That was a time in uh, medieval history where the church at that time decided that they were going to slaughter the people who lived in the Holy Land who were not Christians. Okay? So they took them out. They, they executed them. They murdered them. Okay? That's the wrong answer to the question, what do we do with evil? And um, there are other times in church history, like uh, the Salem Witch Trials, where some people in, in New England a few hundred years ago decided that every person that they thought was a witch, where tragically it turns out many of the people were not even witches, there were false accusations. But they decided anybody who's a witch, we are going to, um, we're going to, same thing, execute them. We're going to get rid of them. And um, that's been the tragedy of a lot of church history is that we've answered this question wrong. So what is the right answer? Like, and again, I don't think anybody is really disagreeing with me here because we live in a culture that's very, um, you know, we, we talk about living peaceably with one another. Even if we don't do it very well, we believe in it as an ideal, you know, to not be violent. And so we, we are peacemakers at our core. Disciples of Jesus are peacemakers, okay? There, there is a judgment for wicked people, but we leave that for the end. That's, that's a part of the point of the parables. We leave it for the end of history. We leave it in the hands of the only good and righteous judge, Jesus, who can do that well. And as shocking as or offensive as this might be, but there will be bloodshed at the end of the age, at the hands of the good and righteous judge. But in the meantime, we're ambassadors of a gospel of peace. And we say, hey, say yes while there's still time. Say yes to the gospel. And it's not our place to be a judge in that way. So I want to read Romans 17 just to, it, it sums this up really well. Romans, uh, sorry, Romans 12, verses 17 through 21. It says, do not repay evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath. Because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. So don't get rid of him or slaughter him. Feed him. That's, that's the, the era that we're living in right now. Is we love our enemies. We turn, we turn the other cheek. It says, if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Okay, so I told you I'd be short on that one. Um, the last theme of this parable that I want to talk about, uh, you'll notice in the passage that I just read from Romans, he says, leave room for the wrath of God. Now that's a little bit sobering, right? I mean, we, again, from my experience, my friends, people I know in America, we love talking about being peacemakers. We're not real big on, like, slaughter the infidel. You know, I haven't heard any of my friends say that before. Um, but that, that little phrase, leave room for God's wrath, can be a little bit startling, can be a little bit unnerving. Well, what does that mean? God's wrath? Oh, man, that sounds scary. That's the last theme of this parable. And in Jesus' explanation, it's the theme that he focuses on the most. And so, again, take a step back from the parable that we've been looking at, the, the wheat and the weeds. Really, I could break this down into man's two questions and then Jesus' big answer. 
man's two questions are, why is there evil in the world? Okay, very relatable, right? And then, what do we do about the evil in the world? Very relatable. I just needed that short little snippet. Jesus' big answer is, there is a coming judgment, and I will take care of the evil. So, um, the Christian philosopher William Lane Craig was once challenged with the problem of evil. And uh, somebody said to him in a debate-like setting, and he said, how can God be good if, if he is all-powerful? And if he's all-powerful, how can he be good with all the suffering in the world? And William Lane Craig's uh, one-line answer was this, it's not over yet. Because God is going to take care of all of the evil and the suffering in the world. And that's glorious. And like I said, that's a little bit unnerving. When Jesus comes back with fire in his eyes to take care of the wickedness, watch out. And that's where we go, thank you for the gospel. (laughs) Thank you for the gospel. But that's also why we preach the gospel with urgency. We say, hey, there's a judgment coming. Say yes. Say yes to the good news. Because either the, I I heard one preacher say it this way, that either the, the blood of Jesus saves me or it's your blood that's shed at the end of the age. That's, that's startling. I don't, I don't hear that preached very often, but that is all throughout the Bible, that it's either the blood of Jesus that saves us or it's all our blood that's shed in judgment. Okay, um, let's just read the words of Jesus, how he says it here. Matthew 13, in his explanation, he says, the harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather from his kingdom all who cause sin and those guilty of lawlessness. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in his Father's kingdom. Okay, there's something else I want to draw out from this besides the big truth that a harvest of judgment is coming at the hands of Jesus himself when he comes back. Okay, we, we need that. We need that constantly in our mind. It's, it's motivating. It's, it's encouraging. It's a lot of things that we need as part of our spiritual diet to think about Jesus coming back as a king and a judge. Okay? Besides that, there's something else I want to bring out. The way Jesus depicts the harvest of growing wheat and growing weeds, I believe, is a picture of of the end of the age right before Jesus comes back, okay? So I'll say it like this. Another debate that goes on is, is the world going to get better or is the world going to get worse as human history goes on? And my answer is yes, okay? In the words of Jesus, the wheat, the people of God, are going to get more mature and they're going to get brighter and holier, and more united. You go, wait a second, I don't see that. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden, all of our unbelief starts coming up like, that's not what I see in, uh, in the West, in America. That's because we're looking at the West, in America. Right now, there is a decline in faith, and there has been for a couple, you know, a few decades in, in the West, specifically. But if you look South, we do not see that same decline happening. If you look at... Um, Africa, 
South America. Two-thirds of all the world's Christians are in just Africa and South America. Okay, to add on to that, in China, which is an officially communist nation, you know, atheist, Christian is the, is the fastest-growing religion. Uh, here's just an example of this. And the point I'm making right now is that the church really is going to get more mature and more united at the end of the age. As crazy as that sounds, you know, like, just imagine all of the churches in Exeter and Visalia standing as one, coming to prayer meetings together, different denominations being a, an emphasis rather than, like, things that we disagree and divide over. That's where this is going. And I can say that boldly because Jesus in John 17 prayed that we would be perfectly one as he is one with the Father. Is Jesus' prayer going to go unanswered? No. His, he prayed with faith, and he knew the will of God. This is going to happen before the end. Okay? Just one other little example of this that I, I, it just so encourages me, you know, when I get down about um, all the deconstruction happening in the West, you know, and uh, people and friends and even family members, you know, that are leaving the faith, and, you know, of uh, the Church of China growing in leaps and bounds, Actually, in the middle of the 20th century, there were a bunch of Western missionaries in China. And uh, when the Iron Curtain fell, you know, when persecution ramped up, they kicked out all of the foreign missionaries. And for a few decades, we heard nothing. You know, this is before the Internet. We heard nothing from China. And we wrung our hands in America going, oh, my gosh, I hope the church is surviving. I hope they're surviving over there. They don't have any Americans. A few decades later, the Iron Curtain goes up. We find out that the Church of China didn't double, it didn't triple, it exponentially multiplied upon millions of millions of Chinese Christians that were thriving on fire, spirit-filled, more faith than most of the missionaries had. And everyone went, oh my gosh, I guess God really is leading his church. And ever since then, the, the church in China has been one of the inspirations of the world, the way they continue to grow and see signs and wonders and the power of God in the midst of extreme persecution. Uh, if you've ever read the, the, the book uh, Heavenly Man, you get a picture of that. If you haven't, read that book. Read the book Heavenly Man. So this is where, this is where we're going. Um, here's the other truth. The other truth is that the world itself is going to get worse as we get closer to the return of Jesus. Sin will get more sinful. The, the darkness will get darker. Just as there will be an increasing unity in the people of God, there will be an increasing unity around wickedness in the people who are opposed to God. This is just one of the, the truths of Scripture. Um, just one verse to pull out. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 13, I don't have a slide for this one. Paul just says, He's talking about the end of the age, and he says, evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. And there's, uh, there's a handful of other scriptures that I could share with you guys along, along those. It, it might get a little depressing if we just went through all of them right in a row, but just we, we do need to know that truth. Um, <clears throat> we do need to know that truth. In fact, I just... Uh, I want to just read Isaiah 60, the first couple verses of it to you guys. It wasn't really in my notes, um, but I just want to flip to it. 
just kind of end with it, actually. Isaiah 60, the first couple verses. It's talking to the people of God first. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord shines over you. Verse 2, For look, darkness will cover the earth, and total darkness the peoples, but the Lord will shine over you, and his glory will appear over you. I think this is a literal description of, of the last days of this age, which we don't know how close we are, but we long for Jesus to come back, and we're, we're, we're praying for the harvest of these coming days. And it says, darkness will cover the earth, but the Lord will shine over you, the people of God that there will be an increased anointing, there will be an increased glory, that the blessing of God will rest on his people like never before. That's where we're headed. And Jesus says, it's a harvest. It's a harvest. The end of the age is a harvest. A harvest of wickedness, oh, a harvest of righteousness. What, we, what we've seen in China the last few decades, what we're seeing in Africa and South America, it will come back around again to the Western world we will see a harvest of revival and an increase of true disciples of Jesus in America, in Canada, in Europe. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. Every last people group and nation will hear the gospel and have a thriving remnant for Jesus' return. So we can be encouraged by that. We can have hope in that. So this is, these are the big picture themes I know it's like a fire hose, but the big picture themes of the parable of the wheat and the weeds, a simple little farm story with truths that cover all the way from Genesis to Revelation. And Jesus is saying, be encouraged. The character of God is good. He's vindicated. Even when we see the suffering and the pain, even in our own lives, he's vindicated. But we are not the main people to take care of that evil right now. We're peacemakers. We preach the gospel love our enemies, and then finally we wait for the coming harvest and we look for that harvest of righteousness, even as we know that the world gets darker and darker. So there's hope in that.